Hi, Daniel. Welcome to Talking Roadmaps. Great to have you here. And uh, yeah, I guess a great opportunity. Can you introduce yourself to, uh, to our audience? For sure. Uh, thank you so much, Phil. It's really a pleasure being here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, well, a quick introduction. My name is Daniel Elizalde. I'm a product innovation coach. Um, I work with B2B companies, helping them with their uh, taking their ideas all the way to commercialization. Um, I've been doing this for a long time um, and I have all the scars to prove it. Um, I've been working in technology for over 20 years uh, with in multiple industries, always B2B uh, industries like manufacturing, aerospace, energy, uh, semiconductors, telecommunications. Um, I've been head of products at an energy storage uh, company in Silicon Valley called STEM. I was uh, vice president, head of IoT for Ericsson. Um, I also teach IoT product management at Stanford University. Um, and uh, today I'm back in Austin, Texas after living in Silicon Valley for seven years, um, working again as an independent coach, helping companies uh, with their roadmaps in early stage with a specialty on uh, climate tech. Perfect, wonderful. And yeah, and I have been through your IoT product management training course. Not at Stanford, the online version. So I can definitely vouch for that one as well. We'll stick a link to that one below as well. Let's go for that one. And, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I guess what I just asked, if anyone's interested out there, or anyone's interested in doing what Daniel's doing, please do reach out in the comments below or talk to me. And if you find this uh, talk interesting, please do like, subscribe, hit that bell, all those good things that everyone tells you on a YouTube channel. So let's uh, not labor that too much, though. <laughs> so let's, I mean, we're fundamentally talking about roadmaps here in the channel. And I know you have a particular B2B and innovation kind of slant to kind of where you come at things from. And I know I personally have spent a lot of time in the B2B space as well. And I, I do reflect that there are some differences in uh, B2C. And I have a philosophically, I think innovation is part of product management. I know that some people will talk about it as a separate thing. Um, but it, for me, it's, it, it's part of the discipline. Whether it's one person doing the job or it's distributed is a different matter, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. I think innovation, it's uh, the way I define innovation is just a, the, the process for delivering value to your company and to your customers by the introduction of new products and services. So it's, you can think of it as just like the early stages of a product. And so therefore product management is it's crucial, right? And, and there's, there's road mapping and everything that we do as product people um, is just a different stage with different uh, characteristics. And, and of course, the B2B flavor adds another dimension there. And uh, sure. you are uh, you know, very experienced in the area. In fact, you were one of the reviewers of my, up, of my upcoming book. So I'm excited to have this conversation and get your take. Sure. Um, uh, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to be a little controversial there and say, surely innovation can also be at the pricing level or the you know, kind of the, the repackaging of maybe an existing product and service as well. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. And really innovation is, it's a way to deliver new value for your customer and your companies. And, and oftentimes when I coach companies, it's not necessarily about building a new product. It's about packaging it differently, positioning it differently, pricing, adding certain functionality. It's maybe going to a new market. It's maybe tacking a different vertical. So yes, all those are, are true. Uh, and I focus on, on specifically new product innovation, but in the process of launching a new product to market, 
you can have a product that is somewhat similar to others in the market, but the innovation is in your delivery model or in your different stages of the enterprise lifecycle or in your pricing or, you know, in your partnership model. And, and that's very valuable, right? I forget who said it, but there's a quote from someone that's got something like, we're all imperfect copies or we all make imperfect copies. So no matter how much you try to imitate that competition, we end up with something different and that might be better or worse, I guess. Yeah, it's true because I think the key to innovation to me is we have to focus and understand your customers' challenges, understand where your company can add value, and then propose a solution. And so anybody can go out and understand the challenges of the companies, uh, customers, and they will have their own strategy. And the solution that they will come up with is going to be different because they are coming from their own vantage point. So I think that's very important that the same problem can have many, many solutions. And that's where you create the differentiated products, services, offerings in the market by adding your slant. And that's how we're all different, right? Cool. Yeah. And I guess one of the ways of getting to those solutions is roadmaps. And so uh, maybe from your perspective, what's the purpose and maybe what's the audience of uh, roadmaps? That's a great question. Um, I've always uh, thought that um, product management is the, the discipline of delivering value and carrying your company through that innovation process and beyond. And so I think that the roadmap, the main purpose of the roadmap, it's an internal tool. It's a tool to align your company on what the vision is in a concrete way. Basically, what is it that we're building that's going to deliver the value? And then have this tool that provides a shared language for your executive team, for your development teams, for your sales, everybody, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an internal alignment tool because building uh, digital products is very complex. And so it's very hard to visualize. And so the roadmap is a tool to help anchor it down and say, this is what we're building. Let's discuss, right? It's not something that dictates the exact path or something that is magic and is going to create the millions of dollars. It's, it's a map of the journey as you go, and it's flexible. Would you agree sure. with that? I, thought, I think broadly, the interesting point I pick up there is it's an internal tool. So what about in the B2B context? I've often shared roadmaps externally. So what's your take there? Yeah, it is true. I mean, there is that option of uh, sharing the roadmap externally, especially in B2B, because customers, once they buy your product, they're going to be uh, using your product for a while, right? It it's becomes sticky because it takes a lot to onboard and, and you know get the companies on your product. So they want to know what's coming. Uh, what are you going to deliver when? So you can use that as a, as a potential sales and customer development tool. But it's a little bit tricky, though, because one of the things that is important to note about roadmaps is that they are not set in stone. They might change depending on new insights you have from the market, uh, strategy changes. You know, we have the COVID pandemic, right? It's like that hits and all of a sudden your plans go out the window. And so mm -hmm. if you if uh, if you share the roadmap with your customers in a way that says this is exactly what's coming, you might be hurting yourself, especially in B2B, because if you're sharing this with Walmart or with, you know, with General Motors and they say, we want that, all of a sudden your sales VP and your CEO are going to say, we're building that because Walmart wants it, right? And so it's a, it's a tricky balance. Yeah. 
I mean, you mentioned GM. I, one of the, one of the sort of meetings I quote often when I'm training people is a meeting with GM. Funnily enough, where I spent four hours in the room in Detroit with eleven senior people from GM, and I flew to the US for less than twenty four hours just for that meeting. It was a pure discovery session. It was like, where is your business going in the future? Where is my business going in the future? And how do those align? How do we help each other? And it, I guess it didn't specifically take place around a roadmap, but now I think about it, it could have in terms of a strategic level roadmap in terms of theirs and ours and seeing about the, the alignments. It is true. And I think that's a very important point because especially uh, when, I, when I coach more junior PMs, they're tied too much to the agile methodologies, right? So for most of them, the roadmap is a bunch of little features and stories and minutia that you need to build. Executives don't care about that, right? They care about what is the overarching picture of what am I paying for in order to build and what is going to be the outcome of that towards the business. And so I think it's important to define that the, because the roadmap is a communication tool, then you need to understand who you are communicating with. Are you communicating with executives? It's a different flavor of roadmap. Are you communicating with customers? It's a different one. You don't want to overcommit. Are you communicating with your engineering team? That's a different type of roadmap, right? So there is multiple flavors of the roadmap, different views of the roadmap, um, depending on what your goal is. And really your goal is to communicate and advance your product forward. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and I, I think I... If you heard my version of this, I think I talked about, and Justin's as well, we talked about communication and alignment. There's kind of key points of this. And I think I talked about there being different views of one roadmap, but they we're talking to the other's different audiences. So I think we're very much on the same page. So you know, I, I've, but I, I think you mentioned another type of roadmap in your book. You mentioned an experiment roadmap. Maybe you could kind of unpack that a little bit. For sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so in, in my book, I talk about the innovation journey from idea to your first 10 customers from a B2B perspective. And so there are different stages that you need to go through. Once you get to the point where you understand the challenges that your customer has and you have an idea of where you could provide value by creating a new product or service or offering, then it's time to figure out you know, your solution. What is it that you're actually going to build? And I think that at that point, it's very important to have, instead of a roadmap, a product roadmap, I recommend having an experiment roadmap. Because at that point, you don't really know if what you, in your head, plan to build is what will solve the customer problem. Right? As you know, there's a big disconnect, or can be, between understanding the customer pain and then creating a solution that they are actually going to buy. Those two things are not... Um, immediate, right? The fact that you understand the problem and you build whatever you think they want doesn't mean that they want it. And so until you get enough traction with customers to know that what you're proposing is the right thing, and that's where my concept of 10 first customers comes into play, then you have to be very careful with what you build. And that's why I recommend having an experiment roadmap. Basically, now that you understand the challenge, what are the assumptions that you have on what a potential product could be, and then create a series of hypotheses and how to test them. And that's your new roadmap for the moment, because at this time, you're not ready to build. What you need to go out and do is experiment 
and make sure that you understand which ones of your assumptions are correct and which ones are not. So therefore, because a roadmap is a communication tool, what you're communicating here is to your executive team, within the next three months, our goal as a product team is to go out and test these things with these experiments, with these desired outcomes. And depending on the outcome of that, we will be able to propose what we will actually build. And then that eventually becomes a product roadmap. So in my view of things, when you get to a product roadmap, it's because you have certain idea or certain validation from the market that what you are actually going to invest engineering cycles on is something that the customer would be willing to pay for. Okay, so that almost sounds like a discovery roadmap and a delivery roadmap. Within that kind of dual track sort of thought process. Okay. Yes, yes, it is. And although you always have to have that dual track in, in the way that I propose in my book is that there is a whole stage within the innovation journey where your only focus is on that discovery roadmap. Right? You're still not building. You're just using little prototypes and you're doing experiments. So it's not necessarily dual track as uh, as you would know it later when you are building, right? So there's a lot that you need to remove uncertainty before you actually start building. I guess we're doing that kind of early problem solution fit and then get on to product market fit as opposed to the optimization and incrementation in life where we can have things running more in parallel. Yes, yes. And um, if I may, now I can be controversial. Um, You mentioned the the topic of product market fit. And, And that's a topic that I discuss in my book as I believe that is really a a flawed assumption. And I've talked to a lot of companies that their goal is to get to market fit. But when you talk up to them about what does that mean, they really don't know, right? You ask 10 companies, they have a different definition. And so the challenge with product market fit is that you can't really define it in a concrete way. And so when you are working in innovation, you're not only balancing, you know, solving the needs of the customer, you're also trying to make sure that your executive team keeps supporting you and doesn't pull the plug on your project, right? And so therefore, saying our goal is to get to market fit, it's really hard to have milestones, no progress, right? So that's why I advocate instead for a concrete milestone of first 10 customers. If you say to your executive team, in this stage, our goal is to do all these different things And when we get to 10, we will evaluate what our next step should be, whether we should go invest in infrastructure, where should we pull the plug there, where should we start scaling, how, you know. Um, And that I've I've learned is a lot more concrete as a communication mechanism than saying product market fit, which is always a moving target. And I know it's a little bit of the, uh, the, the, the church of lean startup, should we say, kind of the, the general phrase, but yeah, I guess we're, in essence, you're making a, t- a, a, a definition of what are we going to call or, or what, what are we going to use as a, uh, as, a, as a much more clear to measure measure of we've found some level of fit. If 10 mm-hmm. customers are going for it, we've got some level of commitment, someone who's interested in it. And you also hinted at the company interest. So maybe there's a strategic fit element missing as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you have to carry that strategic uh, commitment of the company. and then. You can say at 10, we'll make a decision, right? Because at 10, we'll know what it would take to scale. What are the risks? What is the potential? Because what happens with B2B, as you know, is that 
You might sell one customer, but you don't know if you can deliver value to them because you still have to deploy and onboard and operate. And so my experience is that after 10, you probably have seen everything that can go wrong with early customers. And so now you know, like, are we going to be able to find more customers like this? Are we going to be able to deliver the value? Are we willing to invest in what it takes to deploy and sell and operate this type of a solution, et cetera, right? So 10 becomes a decision point, right? And so you can say that your roadmap goes through experimentation and leads to working prototypes that you can sell. And then your major decision point is 10, right? And then from there, you continue up to the path to scale, not to scale, but the path to scale. So. Although it's, I mean, from my own experience, Tends actually quite a lot of customers in some industries. Like yeah. in the automotive space, there are lots of brands, but there's only something like 20 companies. So that'd be half of the market. So I guess there's maybe some element of what's proportional to the market size as well. That's a really good point, right? Because uh, I used to work at um, uh, Ericsson in telecommunications, and the company's a $40 billion company, and it has like 100 and something customers, and that's it. Right? Because that's all there are. And so yeah. you're, you're very right. And my point with making it tangible is that you have to find the balance of when you think you have seen most of the challenges that you will encounter and you are sure that you can deliver value to that type of customer. Maybe five in your industry, right? Maybe three, but, you know, let's do but 10. You, yeah. Ten is a good rule of thumb. It's a good rule. Haven't got the ability to kind of who can then reason from, I guess. Exactly, and, and sometimes I, you know, get into the discussions of like, you know, what about nine? Sure. I mean, the the point is make next step financial decisions of your product once you have concrete evidence that you can deliver value to a certain number of customers. I I put yeah. you know the line in the sand of ten. But again, it's it's a very good point, right? You have to work within the constraints of your industry and what's realistic. Cool. So we talked a lot of kind of we've had we've got a little bit ahead of what it where I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure, but let's that, that's that's awesome because it's more natural. But just circling back a little bit, in your world or your opinion, who owns and who maintains the roadmap? Mm. That's a great question. Um I think the product team is the group that most that must own the roadmap. And then since we talk about different views of the roadmap, I think up and down the hierarchy of product is the people that owns the different views. So for example, the strategic roadmap that aligns with the vision at the highest level, the chief product officer must own that, right? And then down all the way to you know, the, the quote unquote line product managers that are doing the work in the trenches, they are more focused in the actual uh, digging into the features and the stories and those kind of things, right? So I think it has to be on the product team as an owner with collaboration of, of the various different departments, right? Because they don't just dictate what they're going to do, but there has to be this alignment. And so um, I see it similar to the concept of OKRs. Yeah. Um, in, in the sense that, you know, uh, objectives and key results where there has to be some 
high level objective of objectives and then they flow down to the rest of the company right so the product roadmap at the strategic level that is owned by the chief product officer and it's in alignment with the c suite then that must cascade down to the different levels that you know keep adding detail but it has to be aligned all the way through right because i've sometimes it's it's not most of the times it's not and in fact um in in my book, uh, the first stage of the innovation journey is strategic alignment because I see many companies struggle with like not sure what we're going to do, right? So if yeah. we use the roadmap as an internal strategic alignment tool, then it needs to go all the way from the C-suite to the teams doing the work. Nice. Yeah, I, I like that thought of ownership at the different levels because so you kind of got the different layers of audience and then going parallel across kind of who's going out that ownership being taken there yeah i quite like that in yeah. fact i very much like that. <laughs> and, and for me it, it kind of makes sense right because if there needs to be a strategic decision and you're taking it to the board of directors um I, i've been in those situations as head of product that you're presenting to the board because you're raising another round of funding well, the roadmap that you're going to take there is going to be very different to what your engineering team needs. And so, therefore, the people that are talking to the different layers of the roadmap need to have access to the right people, need to talk that language, and need to be able to convey at the level of detail that is going to advance the project, right? If you, and you've seen it many times, right? You bring in a young, very capable technical product manager to talk to the board about what's coming next. And the board is like, didn't get anything. That does not make any sense, right? So you have to be able to use it as a communication tool. Therefore, communicate at the right levels. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, communication, I think I said this in my, my mm -hmm. own uh, run through this, of communication is for the audience, just more, than, more so than it's for the person communicating. It's about getting the message across. They need to receive it. So, yeah, totally agree. I like that agree? a lot. And you, you hinted at actually alignment to some of the things like strategy, vision, objectives in the form of OKR. So how does a roadmap interrelate to those things? Yes. So I, I believe that the first thing has to be the, you know, there's always these things about strategies that is like, it's the vision and the mission and the this and the that, and, and becomes very muddy, right? The way I think about it is from the strategic perspective, the company needs to agree on the business outcome they want to solve for their customers, okay? So at the highest level, the highest level strategy needs to be, we're gonna focus on solving this particular business outcome. For example, we're gonna help our customers reduce uh, the, their energy bill, or we're gonna help their, our customers increase productivity in their manufacturing by 30% or, you know, something high level. And then yeah. it starts flowing down into, okay, now that we have that idea of what as a company we want to do and what the company is willing to support, then we start breaking it down into the other teams. So, okay, what does that really look like? What is, you know, who has this problem in the market? Who are the players? Who are the users? And then the roadmap starts becoming more actionable, right? And so yeah. I think that it all starts by saying, what problem are we trying to solve? And I mean, you're very experienced, you know this, right? But a lot of companies struggle with that. When I do coaching, and I talk to CEOs and I ask them that question, they can't really tell me what problem they're looking to solve. 
And so it starts there because you can't have a roadmap. It's a typical one. It's like, if you don't know where you're going, you can't have a map, right? Or, yeah. or any map will take you there. So I think it, it starts with that alignment. And then I think as the product, like head of product, our role is to get to the company, get our executive team to agree on what is that high level statement? Like, what is the business outcome that you want us to pursue and explore, not build, explore? If we do that as, as you know, heads of product, we can take it from there, right? We don't want executives to tell us what product to build or how it's going to look. Just tell me what problem you're looking to solve as a company. And then I'll yeah. come back and bring you, you know, market information, user information, potential products to invest in, blah, 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 right? But it starts there. Yeah, uh, I, I, getting that principle across to senior leaders who didn't have a product background, I found it so hard as well. I think product people are feel mu a much stronger need for that big picture vision of where we're going for yes. because it provides that North Star for us to know that we're doing things that are aligned and go in the right direction. Whereas, I mean, I, automotive in particular, it's often very project oriented. We're you know, the OEM has said, I want this with this spec, go, go forth and deliver. Well, okay, but where's the where am I adding the value here? And if I'm trying to create that scalable delivery of a product-led approach, I need to know which types of problems we're going to solve so we can bring those products together. So that when the OEM says, I want X, it's like, oh yeah, here it is. It's ready. We'll just make those last 10% of tweaks because to make it work on your platform, and then we're good to go. But it's uh, ha not having that clear vision. Yeah, so many workshops in the past. Yeah, and and I think it's it's very important though because I think it's really the role of of you know uh, product leadership to agree with executive team on what kind of business they're looking for. It's okay if an OEM comes and says, "I want this," and you want to build it, but that's a custom development service type of business that has a certain margin. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of companies that make a ton of money, like there's EY and Accenture and Deloitte and BCG. If that's the business that you want to go in, that's fine. You don't need a product team. You need a services delivery team. Yeah. If you want a product team, it's because you want repeatability. And so, therefore, it's okay if that OEM wants that functionality. But then the product team needs to figure out, is there a recurring business out of this? And by recurring, I don't mean like SaaS, but I mean... Is there customer two, three, four, five, and six that we can sell the same thing? Because the investment in building it is not going to be offset by the first customer. It's going to be offset by multiple customers. And if that market is not there, you're not going to make your money, right? Yeah. I mean, I've even built business models where ultimately it wasn't offset by just the direct customers. And we had to, there was things like secondary data markets and things like that to kind of actually make it financially stack up. Yes. And I think it's also important to understand, especially in B2B, where are those requests coming from? Oftentimes, um, it comes from you know a senior salesperson that says the OEM wants this today. And they're all, all they care about is making their, hap their customer happy and making quota, which is you know, why, the, you know, why they make the big money. But um, there has to be this strategic alignment and this Willingness to have these discussions to say, I understand that that customer wants that, but we won't do it because there's no customer two, three, and four. So therefore, we need to take a step back. It's out of strategy. It's out of this. 
that's a lot easier, like you said, if the CEO has a more productized mindset or really invites product to the table. But if the CEO comes from sales and they want that deal, yeah. there's not a lot we can do, right? Indeed. So, okay, we've talked a bit around roadmaps. What's on a roadmap in your head? <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about the different levels. I think that from a highest level, the strategic one, it's it's really just saying this is a problem we want to solve, and we believe it can be solved with a product of this sort that has this type of modules, right? It's, it's super high level, and it's showcasing the benefit of each of those things. It doesn't say how, it doesn't say how you're going to do it, what it's going to look like. And then as you go down, then it's more about specific modules. And then each of those modules should have the components that build those modules. But I do agree that at that point, you also need the dual track, right? So this is what we think we're going to build. We're going to start, but we're also going to be testing whether this works. And at that point, you're doing less of discovery and more of usability testing and those kind of things. And those become even more important when your product is not only software, but you have IoT and you have connected hardware. And so you have to do all those things, right? There's also the the roadmap for those kind of things should also include um, things that you're going to buy from a third party and you need to integrate so that your solution works as a whole. Like say you're only building the software, but you need hardware. Well, unless you figure out which hardware and 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 have cycles in your roadmap to actually test those, then you, you're not going to be able to deliver that functionality, right? So your heart, your roadmap at the execution level should be all encompassing, not on the things you're going to build, but also on the things you're going to buy and the things you're going to integrate. And what about sequencing or time? How do you visualize that? Maybe yeah. A controversial one. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's controversial. I think it's a great point to have. And that's why, um, Again, in, in, in my book, I talk about the prototyping stage of always focus on the items with highest risk. And risk can be a lot of things, right? Business risk, technology risk, um, desirability risk. And so always focus on those first so that you can systematically remove the risks. It, I, I was coaching some some large corporations where they were building these new products and they were doing some tests and they had tests for desirability, feasibility, and viability, right? The test for feasibility and buy up and, and, um, uh, uh, sorry, desirability, feasibility, and viability, the feasibility and viability ones, they would put some time on and they've determined that they could build it. So they're going to start and build it, but they didn't have any desirability. And so at that point, it doesn't really matter what you build. So I think that, yeah. A lot of companies focus a roadmap on the low-hanging fruit, the things that they can build, but it's not necessarily the things that have the highest risk. Because if the thing with the highest risk doesn't come true, then nothing else matters. So I think the sequencing is more about prioritizing based on risk, and then you start building, right? Sure. And just out of interest, any there's obviously this new crop of product management tools and road mapping tools out there. Any that you particularly like or you have used? Yeah, I, uh, you know, to be honest, I've evaluated them all. Um, and I think all of them are, are great. I mean, they're, they're, 
you know, they've grown so much from the time that I was doing, you know, these things in Excel. Um, and, and I've used several, right. Uh, you know, from aha to ProdPath to, uh, product plan and they're all really great and they all have different functionality. What I like about them, especially the, the more prominent, right. Like aha and ProdPad and product plan, they have become the tool to centralize a lot of the information that informs the roadmap. So your discovery, it has a place for it. Your personas, it has a place for it, right? So it's not just this is what we're building, but this is how we arrived at this. So they're becoming a lot richer. And the thing that I like about these tools is that they're getting more accepted. More and more companies are deciding to invest in product-specific tools. As before, it was like, oh, if it's for engineering, whatever. Otherwise, you know, you need to use Jira. Yeah. Well, now, so... Um, I think they're getting a lot more traction because they are, uh, the product profession is more, it's better understood, it's better represented, and therefore you need your own tools, right? Yeah, perfect. Anyone said, what's, what's your perspective on tools? So my perspective is none of them produce anything pretty enough. And I, I, when I, and I say pretty enough because, again, I come back to that communication piece and something that looks good helps. But what I love is that single source of truth. Mm-hmm. giving me one source and being able to render different views. Now, has everyone, is everyone producing the different views that I want to see? No, but that's the nature of a product approach, right? They're not going to hit 100% of 100% of people's needs or desires. So uh, as a product person, I take that pragmatic pr- approach. And uh, I mean, I was about to source AHA in my last corporate role. Um, because I felt the efficiencies driven by it were going to help me there. Um, I'm the partner of ProdPad these days, so kind of, kind of, um, you know, look at that quite regularly. And uh, I think John is hopefully going to be on the show at some point in the near future. He's oh, great, um, a good friend. But uh, yeah, it's it's, and what am I? In fact, the guy who's going to be on the call tomorrow, recording another session that will come out a few weeks later. Um, he is uh, he's using Product Board in his organization and he gave me a, a, a tour through the tool the other day and you know i can see the value of it again and so i think it's what i see is the benefit of the efficiencies it drives as one source of truth and not having a thousand different versions in powerpoint that are all kind of slightly different and made prettier by sales and usually moved by three months yeah and it's true i mean i think that it's there's also a lot of power of understanding how your roadmap is going to be communicated throughout. Because one of the important things about communication is you have to communicate in ways that are uh, natural for the company to receive. And so if the company is used to, you know, PowerPoint presentations with this particular template in this way, and you get two slides, then it doesn't matter that you have these systems, you're going to go and um, create a couple of slides that can be in the board deck or it can go in the presentation for this or that, right? So I like that idea of source of truth, but you're always going to have to be modifying or maybe extracting and using Word and PowerPoint uh, so that it can be consumed. Because the moment you're forcing the company to look at this new format and look at this new tool and you lost the battle. Yeah, totally agree. So, okay, we've got roadmaps now. What is the biggest mistake or the biggest anti-pattern that you see on a roadmap when you see them with uh, those clients you work with mm. on your previous career? 
I think the biggest, um, there's a couple. Um, one that comes to mind is, uh, especially if you're thinking about the early stages, is that um, it's very important to narrow down your roadmap to a specific target audience because you need to make sure that you are evaluating against the same type of customer so that you can know whether you have a problem and solution that is repeatable. I see a lot of companies with this anti-pattern of, well, I have this feature for this company in automotive, and this other feature is going to be for this prospect in energy, and this is in, other one is for this startup in healthcare. And yeah. so you're you're not really building, you might be building a product, but you're not converging into something that you can have with 10 healthcare companies that are the same that you know, okay, this is a prevalent problem, right? So yeah. scatter approach, they're just building for that. So that's one of the biggest ones that I see. Yeah, it's the, it's the blunderbuss. We're going to just go out, we're going to fire and hope we hit a bit of everything and get it something that's worth having. Right. Yeah, interesting. And And sometimes it's driven because of the relationships with sales, right? Sales says, hey, I have this big customer in healthcare, we need to have this to close that deal. And so, okay, we'll put it in the roadmap, right? And so all of a sudden, you're not building anything that it's it's conducive to something. It's you're building this Frankenstein from the very, very beginning. And your product will grow to be a Frankenstein like all do. But when you're early stage, what you're looking to understand is what are the challenges of this first 10 customers, this first group of people, so that you can go and find more like them. But if you have... One of each, I, I talk to a lot of startups and say, hey, you know, we are in three different industries. And it's like, okay, how many customers do you have? Well, we have one of each and we're doing different things for each. So like, you don't have a product. All, all your three separate startups just happen to be in the same room. <laughs> yeah, so you need three times the the, the funding because yeah. you're not going to put much, right? So, yeah, so, and that is a hard thing. I think as product managers, convincing the executive leadership team to narrow on a specific audience because you need to find that convergence and repeatability of the problem solution is one of our critical jobs at the very beginning. Because if you have that agreement from the strategic perspective, then the roadmap just flows to that. When I see a roadmap like that, I don't, I don't think about the product team particularly. I think about there's not strategic alignment on where this product should be. So it's a, it's a higher up problem. The, the yeah, roadmap becomes just a symptom. So now, now the hard question, Daniel. If you had to distill down your philosophy on roadmapping into one or two sentences, what is it? I would say, um, that's a great question. Oof. Um, a roadmap is a communication tool. And your role as a product person is to provide value to customers and your company. So therefore your roadmap should include the items that have the most risk that you're going to test first and should only go to development once you have some customer validation. And so you want to make sure that you're focusing on experimentation first, and then you're using your roadmap to communicate what you're doing for whom and what is the next step. Cool. Was that okay? <laughs> I, I probably a little bit more than two sentences, but actually, I think I think kind of the last bit was really it, and the first bit was you forming the thought as you went as right. You got there, right? I was like, hmm, 
it's it's hard, right? Because roadmaps are so many things to so many people. As a communication tool, we talked about from executive all the way to execution. Um, there's so much, right? So there's a lot to talk about. And by the way, when I answered the same question, even though I wrote the question, I did the same as you. I talked for a little bit. It's like, and then I came back and here's actually my answer. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So last question for you. What should I have asked you that I haven't asked you about roadmap? Hmm. Wow. Um, I would think that since my focus is on B2B, one of the challenges that I see a lot is when you start working with your early adopters, your first 10 customers, there's always pilot programs. And a lot of uh, products die on pilots. So how should your um, roadmap account for that pilot stage? Um, I think that's an important thing because that is the stage where you are getting close to validation and you might need to build a lot of things that you need in order to make that particular customer successful, but they also need to be abstracted in a way that helps the overarching product, right? So understanding what goes in the product versus what's a decoupled module versus what's a partner module versus what you're going to buy from the market at that stage is super important. So your roadmap at the early adopter stage where you're trying to nail down the value for your first 10 customers, I think it's a little different and it's super important. Cool, that's really interesting insight. Yeah, because I don't think I've launched a B2B product without doing a soft launch in the last 10 plus years because I want that first reference customer, at least the first one, and I want to go through the pain with them, get it more stable for that second and third so that we have less issues and but it's yes. also the first question in the sales meeting is that's worked great, but who else is you to say, mate? Right. And I've already got the answer. And, and in fact, um, if I may, I can elaborate a little bit on that because I think another aspect of the roadmap at that early adopter stage is to start thinking about the internal tools that your team will need to deploy, deliver, and operate that customer. Right. So what admin tools will you need? What kind of maintenance things, troubleshooting, uh, onboarding tools? Because for your first one, two, three, ten customers, you know, the product team and the engineering team has to feel the pain of what it takes. But as you start driving towards scale, you're going to need to start requiring tools for making sure that you can operate these systems. Uh, you can demonstrate compliance, all those different things. Right. So. Those internal tools become an important line item of your roadmap. And once you get to your first 10 and you need to make decisions about your next steps to scale, one of those decisions could be, you know what, we need to invest in uh, solidifying our infrastructure or we need to invest in internal tools or we need to, you know, so that you can actually grow. So at that point, it's very important to think about the overarching life cycle of the product as opposed to just the end customer. It's like, the end customer product is important, but how are you going to operate that? How are you going to track it? How are you going to collect money? How are you going to all these different things, right? So that becomes a super important part of a B2B roadmap at that stage. Perfect. Awesome, Daniel. So I think we'll probably bring it to a close there. I'd just like to thank you for your time today. It's been awesome talking to you about both innovation in B2B and roadmaps. Um, just to remind everyone out there, if you could, if you found this interesting, please like, subscribe, and hit that bell so that uh, you get told about future updates.
Daniel, here's your chance for a little bit of a pitch. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciated uh, uh, your support today and, and throughout the years. I really appreciate it. Um, and so if you like what we discussed here, my uh, my book, the B2B Innovators Map is coming up in a couple of months, but you can go to b2binnovator.com and you can download a free chapter today. So I'm very excited about, about that. Perfect. We'll definitely make sure the link's down there below in the description as well. Great. Thank you very much, Dave, Daniel. and. Uh, yeah, I think we'll stop there. Sounds great. Thank you, Phil.